Ciao, this is Giuseppe Camuncoli, a.k.a. Camel from Italy, and you're listening to The Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello! I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and the author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for the fifth episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as they look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. In this first season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, Dan, we've been taking a closer look at the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko creative run on the title. So last time around, we talked about all the recurring tropes and themes that have defined Spider-Man's life and all of his great, famous stories. But today, uh, rather than looking at story ideas and themes, we're going to look more individually at the... Um, <clears throat> The bad guys. I didn't do it, Dan. I bet you thought I was going to do it, but I didn't do it. <laughs> I am I am crossing my fingers on this one. Yep, uh, but like Mark said, uh, we're talking about the bad guys, and so that's going to span this whole run. We're not talking about a particular issue. Uh, we're just talking about Lee and Ditko's contributions as a whole, and that means you can read it just about anywhere, whether it's print, digital, or on Marvel's Unlimited Service. Again, this remains one of the most published, most read series of comic books in the world. You can trip over these things, maybe not in print, but you can trip over them just about anywhere and catch up with us uh, to read them. So I guess sit back, everybody, and get ready for Mark. I'm going to let you do it this time. The bad guys. All right, here we go. The villains, I think, are the most important people in a story because in a running series, because you've already met the hero. You know who the hero is, you know who the hero does, and if the hero wasn't fighting some unpredictable guy or girl or something, monster, who you didn't feel the hero didn't have a chance to defeat, then there'd be nothing to interest you. So the first thing you have to do with a villain, for those of you who are villain writers, the first thing you have to do is get a villain who seems to be unbeatable by the hero. It seems the hero has no chance to beat this guy. Then, of course, it makes your job tougher because you have to figure out, well, how will the hero be? Because he has to at the end, unless you want to kill the series, which could happen too. 
<laughs> so it's important to get villains that are very powerful. I like to get villains that have some sort of a background, so I know a little bit about their personal life, just like I like to know a little about the personal life of my heroes. All right, Dan. We're going to talk about the. Uh, well, I won't. I won't do Tony Montana anymore. But uh, we're 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 going to talk about all the villains and and just to kind of organize this and also maybe to even create some debate amongst us or our fans. I thought we would kind of organize these villains by tier, aka like their their importance. So um, you know, let's start with those tier one villains that Lee and Ditko created. I mean, just for the record, you know, Spider Man's Rogues Gallery is considered by by many to probably be the best in superhero comics maybe the second best to batman depending on what your taste in 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 comic books are so you know tier one here again we're looking only at villains created during the lee and dicko years so that's amazing fantasy 15 and amazing spider-man's one through 38 annuals one and two the first what i consider to be tier one villain to show up is the vulture whose first appearance was Amazing Spider-Man number two. Obviously, the star of Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, do, do you have any objections to the Vulture being here, Dan? No, I don't, although I feel like he's kind of become a tier two villain, you know, as time has gone on, which is funny to, like, reflect on the Stanley Steve Dicko era because, I, you know, they clearly had no idea that this character would be around for as long as he would be. I mean, who could possibly have imagined you know yeah. and uh you know they so they moved him out of high school quickly and yada 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 and and the same goes with the villains like i don't think they had any idea like what villains were going to stick around or catch on or really even work with this character you know we get aliens in the second issue you know <laughs> uh and so like that the vulture is kind of this big villain in in the steve stanley steve dicko run seems kind of strange now because he's not that big of a character in the comics uh, anymore, although he got his own movie just a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, no, I agree with you. He is one of the big villains in this run, but it's funny to see him there, I think, given the history of the character. Yeah, and just, I mean, in terms of why, you know, I, I think he belongs in Tier 1. I mean, like, you know, he was, he was the first uh, villain that Spider-Man fought um, a second time around. Like, you know, he, he first appeared in asm2 and then showed back up again in asm7 i think he's kind of a good thematic counterpart i mean roger stern has always said that he he loves the vulture because he's really the antithesis of spider-man in every way it's 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 youth and and ingenuity and and kind of natural power versus age and craftiness and um you know technological advancements and things like that and then, like you said, the movie, I think, elevates him. And, and you know, for what it's worth, when during the uh, Sam Raimi movies, they were going to use the Vulture in those movies as well until that franchise, that that series petered out. So, yeah, you know. and, and not not to go too far ahead. You know, he's one of the few guys that kind of resurfaces during the Romita run. You know, a lot of yes. these guys would just kind of disappear for a long period of time and he would reliably come back over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And just a just a fun little note about his creation. So apparently when 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 Stanley was first pitching this idea of having a, a quote unquote flying bird like villain, 
what he originally pitched to Dicko was like he wanted like a heavy set, like mobster type uh, character to play the vulture. And and Dicko's reaction to that was like, then it's going to look like Spider-Man's fighting a turkey. Uh, (laughs) So um, he opted to make the vulture, you know, what he ended up looking like. And it sounds like Stanley was noted for when, you know, if at first he doesn't succeed, he just finds another artist to do it the way he wants it. (laughs) So so he ended up going to I think it was Bill Everett in Daredevil to get his rotund bird-like villain with uh the owl leland owsley for daredevil so that was kind of where that where it stands in original vision for this villain it kind of manifested itself which is is just a fun little side note but nothing to do with his importance to spider-man and spider-man uh, would get his own rotund villain you know like 50 issues later with the King yes Pen, yeah yes which is you know some people believe that was like the other course of action for you know stan getting his way like okay it won't be a bird villain but i'll I'll still get his fat mobster villain (laughs) all right well who's next next up and i think this is a pretty obvious choice is dr octopus who first appeared in amazing spider-man number three i don't feel this needs any justification do you have any justification for it Uh, any way to unjustify it dan he is the guy he is the villain yeah yeah um, and, and we'll get to, we'll, we'll talk about him in a little more detail in a minute, but let me, you know, just kind of vis-a-vis another villain on this list, but this to kind of run through this list a little more, the next one I, I thought was a good tier one villain was Sandman who first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number four. Sandman, what, what's very interesting about Sandman is I feel that he, he's almost too powerful to be a Spider-Man villain. And they and that kind of showed in the fact that they kind of ushered him over to Fantastic Four after a couple of years in Spider-Man, right? Is it that he's too powerful or that, like, it's difficult for writers to come up with a way for Spider-Man to beat him? Yeah, well, you know, there's that, too. But, like, I mean, he's a character that can, you know, fix, you know, shape and, and manipulate his density and his shape and his size and, you know... I actually find the the fight that Spider-Man has against Sandman in, in Amazing Spider-Man number four to be one of my favorites because it's just sheer Dicko craziness with him like ending up using a vacuum cleaner at the end to get him. I mean, I think that's pretty brilliant personally, although the I guess visualizations look like something out of a thing, you know, like yeah. it's really kind of creepy with him, like just being like a head on a tail and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But definitely, I mean, you know, he's Sandman is, has been around forever. He's been in the Sinister Six. He's he, he, obviously he fought Spider-Man a number of times during this run and always kind of seemed to show up when Spider-Man was at his most vulnerable, which I always thought was interesting. Like there's that that three parter where Spider-Man quits, hence the air quotes, which you can't see me using on your podcast. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Where, where Sandman kind of resurfaces. Um, so for me, that's that's why he belongs on here. And then, yeah, he ended up becoming a, a, fan, a part of the Frightful Four and more of a, a Fantastic Four and Human Torch uh, villain explicitly. Like there was that, you know, years later, there's that great Marvel team up number one, the Christmas issue where Spider-Man is literally like he's going he's out shopping for a gift for Gwen Stacy and Sandman shows up and Human Torch is like there, too. And Spider-Man's like, well, he's your villain now. You could take care of him. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, um, I always felt like they made him a good guy eventually for that brief period of time that he was a good guy and even was on the Avengers just yep. because they had a hard time coming up with different ways of defeating this very powerful character. Yeah, definitely. Next on the list might be considered more controversial. But your uh, favorite. One of my favorites. So I threw Mysterio in tier one. I mean, he definitely shows up multiple times during this run, which I think adds to it. I always found that he was one of the more creative villains. And he also, like, almost all the villains, I feel like he plays most into what Lee and Dicko more so were going for in Spider-Man's universe, which is this idea of, like, these grounded street-level villains that could still get a number on a super-powered hero. I mean, with Mysterio, I mean... His origin is that he's, you know, a special effects guy gone rogue. So he uses his knowledge of special effects. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's some suspension of disbelief of what he's able to pull off. Um, but, you know, he uses those powers to manipulate. But he's not super powered. He's not he doesn't have nu- nuclear abilities or <laughs> cosmic abilities. I mean, he's just manipulating visuals to to mess with spider-man what are your thoughts on Mysterio? he's got an unending budget also yeah like, well, this, guy, <laughs> this guy has got some money to spend um yeah i think he gets some you know an additional boost by being a member of the original sinister six as well um he's a guy i often forget was a part of the sinister six because he just seems like an odd fit for the rest of that group but he is yeah. there unlike some of the other ones who are actually going to be on like our tier two. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I guess just on the fact that he reappears several times in this run, bumps him up a little bit. I think he's missing some of the personal connection that some of these other villains have. And I think in terms of his characterization, he's probably the flimsiest of the bunch. Like, I don't think we really ever got to know Quentin Beck all that well. Other than that, he's this flashy showman kind of guy. But he also dresses up as Spider-Man and, and commits crimes. And that's, to me, that's like a cardinal sin enough to bump you up on the list. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he, his first appearance was um, Amazing Spider-Man number 11. But I, I feel like his true time to shine was actually um, issue 24 when he like poses as a psychologist and or or shrink and almost gets uh, Spider-Man to admit his secret identity. And he basically convinces Spider-Man that he's going crazy. And it's like got great Dicko visuals. And I mean, it's just it's just to me like a really well executed story that kind of shows how. Yeah, I mean, he's a flimsy character, but he he has this really uncanny ability to almost get one over on spider-man each time he shows up which i think is pretty cool i wish we got to see that side of the character more often i feel like it you know all too often mysterio falls into big unbelievable spectacle that you you know you can't really believe but um the kind of more twisted uh psychologically trickster stuff i think is more interesting i think about that Dan Slott story from Brand New Day where he convinces Spider-Man that he murdered someone, you know, right. uh, like that's really interesting to me. And I, I think he could be more like small, clever and devious and be more interesting as a character. Definitely. And then the last of the tier one villains here and, you know, I don't think there's going to be much argument here is the Green Goblin. 
who first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 14. Um, of course, during this run, we never revealed who the Green Goblin was. He was introduced as this mystery villain, and that mystery maintained through the duration of this creative run, uh, which leads me to, I think, one of the big questions in all of Spider-Man fandom, Dan, Doc Ock or Green Goblin? But let's do it. Let's let's couch the argument just on this run. Uh, I don't know, Mark. That's a good question. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think from this run, it's got to be Doc Ock because I just don't think Green Goblin, there's that mystery component to him, but I just don't think he really ma- a, a, attains the gravitas you know, of the character until after this run. But at the same time, like the Otto's best story in this run is like basically the one he's not even in. Like the yeah. the master planner, he's like an afterthought to the best part of that story. Yeah, but it is interesting in what ends up being Spider-Man's most personally daunting story that the antagonist ends up being Otto, you know, even if he's not really that much of a factor. And he was also involved, I feel, earlier in the run with the with the death of um Betty Brandt's brother. Yeah. Um, what's that? Uh, what's his name? Brandt. Bennett. Thank you. I think we did this last episode. <laughs> <laughs> so that's and that kind of like sets Spider-Man's love life on on its head, which I think is important. Obviously, Otto is the leader of the Sinister Six and even brilliant, brilliantly plots it so that each one attacks Peter or each attacks Spider-Man individually rather than just, you know, six on one, which you would think a super group would just do and beat him. I feel like I'm Scott Evil here. <laughs> like, just shoot him. <laughs> You're six supervillains. Just team up and kill him. <laughs> it is. It is particularly dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Otto has got the thematic counterpart to Peter. I mean, they're men of science based on eight, eight appendaged creatures. <laughs> and, and, you know, one uses his power responsibly and one uses it for nefarious purposes. I mean, it's a very thematic thing. But, you know, obviously the Green Goblin would go on to develop more cachet after this run. But it is always interesting to me that of all the villains, the Goblin was the one earmarked for this very long, slow-burning mystery angle that that they keep up throughout the whole thing. So it makes me think that even if the duration of this run, Otto, was the focus, they had plans for the Green Goblin. It's funny because I, I think the Green Goblin is just kind of an, it's an odd villain for Spider-Man to fight in this run where so many of his villains are like, animal based and and all he kind of stands out and i wonder like if there wasn't that mystery element to the green goblin would he even have come back you know i don't really think there's a lot that's really that compelling about him i mean his first story is like one of the most ludicrous stories ever like luring him to hollywood thing let's have a movie (laughs) yeah and like okay now you guys can push this boulder on top of of to- on top of him and then the hulk shows up it's just kind of nutty and i feel like if there wasn't the mystery he wouldn't really come back and i think if i were a reader i'm trying to put myself in the place of a reader in the 1960s of this comic who would i be more excited about i mean i think 
I might think that Otto is a cooler villain and a more compelling villain, but I also might have been very interested in finding out the Green Goblin's identity because they were teasing it. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, I have to go with Otto because he's just the better villain. Yeah. Uh, just as a side note, with the creation of the Goblin, apparently Stan Stan's initial vision for the character was he wanted him to be a, a demon uh, trapped in a carsophagus or something like that. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> And Dicko is like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> and I don't think Dan ever got to, uh, Dan, Stan ever got to do that elsewhere in Spider-Man, at least not in a significant way. <laughs> Maybe Morbius. Maybe. But Morbius was Roy Thomas. So, you know. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Um, and then of course, obviously there will be the famous fallout over who the identity of this character is. Right. Right. But that might be a topic for another episode, Dan. I think, Uh, I think so. Um, there is one more villain, if you will, that we didn't mention, but probably based on his importance to the overall story of Spider-Man should be considered tier one. Who would that be, Dan? Uh, I think that would have to be the burglar. Yeah. Which, do we ever get the burglar's name? I don't think so. Maybe in Amazing 200 we do when he's, you know, I can't looking, remember looking him for being silverfish. By name. Yeah, I don't think so either. But, um, yeah, I mean, certainly he only shows up once in this run. And, um, but it's, he's the one that sets everything into motion. <laughs> so, um, you gotta gotta consider him, and okay, he would only According get... to Wikipedia, his yeah. name is never revealed. There we so go. We're, we're safe. We were. So both he's not safe. like he's not like Joe Cool, right? Uh, correct. There is yeah. a, there is a rumor that like his last name might be Caradine. Yeah, um, I think I heard that somewhere. Uh, and and Dennis Caradine has been used in the media over the years. But it's never appeared in Amazing Spider-Man that way. Um, of course, we're, we're remiss to say that the burglar actually worked with Flint Marco in Killing. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> Flint Marco being the Sandman. Uh, but no. <laughs> but yeah, what, what do you think? Does the murder of Uncle Ben like, and the creation of Spider-Man essentially qualify this guy for tier one? I think so. I think I think the fact that he basically sets everything into motion without the burglar, there really is no Spider-Man. There is no heroes and villains. So I think like it needs to be it's kind of I mean, you know, I made the joke about Joe Cool before, but it's like thinking about the burglar who kills or, you know, the, the robber who kills Bruce Wayne's parents. I mean, like, you know, it's 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 just a, a essential moment an essential origin moment for one of the greatest superheroes of all time. So I think you just have to, it's almost like he, if he's not tier one, he's just on his own pedestal. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, or, or originating villains, like, yeah, the create cre- element of a creation story, you know, yeah. that's, that's gotta be on its own thing. So let's move into tier two villains. Mark, what are our qualifiers to be a tier two villain from the Lee Dicko run. Yeah, I mean, I think 
I think a tier two villains is either characters who made multiple appearances um, during this run, but maybe kind of got forgotten down the road and or um, characters who only showed up once or uh, during this run, but ended up becoming more important down the line. Does that make sense sure. to you? And I think this is where it's going to get controversial. Yeah. Between so, you and I. Yeah. Let, let's 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 run the list first, and then we can we can we can pick our arguments if that makes sense. That sounds fine to me. All right. So for tier two, two I put forward the chameleon, whose first appearance is Amazing Spider-Man number one, the lizard from ASM six, Electro from ASM nine. Uh, Big Man and the Enforcers from issue 10, Craven from issue 15, Scorpion from issue 20, Spencer Smythe and the Spider Slayers from issue 25, and Molten Man from issue 28. So, Dan, what, what are some of your issues there? I think my big one, and I feel like you can you have a reason why you put him on tier two, yeah. Uh, is the lizard mainly because you know he's a villain that we we get and he hangs around in the book as like a prominent character even in the master planner mm. story you know like he i but i guess the reasoning why I, I i would even argue against myself on this is like he kind of ceases to be a villain almost immediately um, and moves into a supporting character role. Um, right. So I don't know, but I think like there's something more to the lizard than say Electro and Chameleon who kind of make their appearances and go away. But the lizard and Electro are both on the Sinister Six. So. Well, who in? Well, lizard isn't Sinister. Oh, you're Six. right. No, the lizard isn't. Just the just Electro is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he ends up on a later version of the Sinister Six. But yeah, I mean, Lizard is... I almost wonder if Lizard kind of belongs on his own kind of stand where the burglar is. Because he's he's this very... Of all the villains, he, in many ways, is the most complicated in that, you know, certainly in the early days, and even until very recently when, like, that, that brand new day story, like... You know, he was treated as like someone that like Spider-Man could never truly confront because, you know, underneath the the his reptilian skin, he's a good man, you know, who who just accidentally turned himself into this monster. He's basically the uh, Spider-Man's Hulk without, you know, being an Avenger, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, so I could see I could see your issues there. Um. Who from this list do you feel has been could be elevated into tier one now? Like like putting aside their own what this run like has gone on. I mean, there's someone that immediately jumps out to me, but I'm curious if you're on the same wavelength as me. Yeah, I mean I would say like Craven. Yeah. Uh Electro. I mean Electro is one of the most frequently reused villains in Spider Man, weirdly enough. Or it's, which it's is come to be the case. Yeah, which is weird because if you actually go back in time with Electro, you know, he's used in issue nine and then he shows up on the Sinister Six and then he's like nowhere to be found until at least in Spider-Man's world until 
years later when Ramita's on the book. Yeah. And and then I feel like even during like the Bronze Age, like they came up with the Shocker, who I mean, it's not the same villain, but they're similar. You know what I mean? There's a similar kind of sure, you know, to them. And I feel like the Shocker kind of took over more during the Bronze Age. But yeah, certainly over the last decade or so, I feel like Electro has shown up a lot. Yeah. Um, um, I would actually on this list even like demote a few people. Yes, I think some could definitely be demoted. Who would you demote? Like the chameleon. I know people like the chameleon, but like the guy, I mean, talk about a guy who disappeared for a while. Yeah. Uh, and even now, like he's, you know, a, 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 almost a footnote. Um, I could never imagine the chameleon getting a movie of his own. In the right. way that a lot of these other people do, and in this run, he sh- he appears once and isn't even a full issue of the yeah. Chameleon. Um, it's interesting because I always feel like he was really a, a lame villain to start Spider-Man's own book with. Like you know, like he's ha- here's this character who had the sensational debut issue in Amazing Fantasy, and the first guy you have him fight is basically like this cold war spy you know what i mean like master of disguise like it just shows very little creativity in my opinion i agree um although i do like the element that like the chameleon allows for there to be confusion about who spider-man is and plays into the whole like masked persona thing that's fair i would only my argument about demoting him would be, you know, he he does end up playing a key role in a couple of significant stories down the line. I mean, like you can I know he wasn't the 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 total master mind behind like the reappearance of Peter's parents, but he was a secondary key figure, if you will. He does have that great cover of Spider-Man about to smash him with a tombstone. Yes. Yes. <laughs> For what that's worth. Right. Um, I feel that um, certainly the redheaded stranger story during Brand New Day was a pretty significant chameleon story and kind of like was used. He was used in the right context there to kind of throw things off with Mary Jane after her return. And then he is technically on the Sinister Six right now for whatever that group's existence is. That's Uh, true. I mean, I just feel like the chameleon is a guy who... He's a cool villain, and he's been, you know, bumped up in the Spider-Man mythology mainly because he was included in the animated series from the '90s, and has kind of made appearances here and there, but it never really got a real foothold in the pages of the comic. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he just like, what do you do with this guy? Like, they yeah. tried changing his powers here and there, and gave him that like rainbow suit, which the less said about the better. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a character the writers can't even consistently write his powers right. Right. Yeah, I don't know. And then obviously another character here I would demote would be the Enforcers. I mean, but they were used they were used quite a bit during this run. They were like always kind of there to be like the hired muscle to mess around with things with Spider-Man. And the big man is technically the first masked mystery villain that Spider-Man dealt with. But obviously, well... 
you know, like the enforcers have shown up since then, but they're they're jokes now, right? I mean, is that a safe safe? Assessment? Yeah, but but I think they belong on this list, uh, like especially oh. for this run. Okay, yes, for this run, absolutely. But I feel like if we were to make like the master Spider-Man oh, villain sure. list, I I wouldn't put them in tier two. I would even put this version of the Enforcers below the ultimate version of the Enforcers, which I think are way more fun. Okay. Um, That's cool. I'm down with that. <laughs> okay. What about the Scorpion? Because I think I like the Scorpion more than you do. Yeah, I've just never been a huge Mac Gargan fan. I mean, you know, I, I just find his whole creation. I mean, to me and... He's not on this list because, quite frankly, he's going to get his own episode, spoiler alert, down the road. But to me, the Scorpion is a creation of Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson. You know what I mean? Without Jameson trying to, in his obsession with Spider-Man. And I know you could say the same about the Spider-Slayers, but like, I feel like the Smythe family and stuff would kind of they would develop their own little issue with Spider-Man down the line. But the Scorpion, I don't know. Like, he just seems like a thug who lucked into some powers, uh, which we will see in some tier three <laughs> villains. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. And then I know he had the run with Venom, but I always kind of found that to be a creative low point for, for the Venom character, giving him to Gargan. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I, just not sold on the character. I'll tell you what I like about the Scorpion. Sure. Um, so hear me out on this one. Uh, I think, the, well, first of all, I feel like the Scorpion is like the first true iteration of Jameson creating a villain. Um, yeah. Which, and, which would go on to haunt Jameson forever. And I find that really interesting. Okay. Um, and it's also one of the few early times where Spider-Man, I mean, I guess you could say like the issue five with Dr. Doom, where he has to save Flash Thompson is an instance of this, but it's also an instance of Spider-Man has to save Jameson from himself. And, and I think that's really interesting Uh, for the character is, uh, you know, this scorpion, I, you know, I may not agree with Jameson and I may not really even have much to do with this at all, but I have to risk my neck to save someone, uh, because it's the right thing to do. And I also just love the fight in that issue because Spider-Man gets like, beaten to a pulp and it really feels like the stakes are high because it's in the bugle. So I don't know. I mean, I guess he's kind of a minor villain, but I think he's got an added personal wrinkle to him that makes him interesting because it's it's also the inversion of Peter. It's like a guy who didn't really want powers and now like kind of wants to get rid of them, but can't, you know, um, there there is a kind of a bit of a mirror to to Spider-Man with this character. All right. Does any of that land for you? Yeah. No. I. 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 I think the um the stuff with kind of haunting Jameson lands the most. Okay. So. I'll take what I can get. All right. So tier three, <laughs> tier three. These are the bums. These are just villains that have had very little impact, and there might be some, you know, nits to pick here, but. Let's just I, run through this. And I just want to say there. they might be the bums, but a lot of these have a really close place to my heart. That that's fair. <laughs> so we have the Tinkerer from ASM two. Yeah. The Crime Master, which might be the most controversial on this list, on uh, from issue twenty six. The Looter from thirty six. Gaunt from thirty seven. Mendelstrom and the Robot Master, or slash the Robot Master from thirty seven. 
Uh, also, I'd be remiss to say The Living Brain from number eight <laughs> and The Cat Burglar from number 30. What I think find most interesting about a lot of these characters is most of them come in the later half of the run, which I think says something about where the creativity, creative juices were flowing by this point. Yeah, that's absolutely um, true. So close to your heart, maybe, but outside of the crime master who really is just more compelling because he was kind of inserted into this mystery angle with the goblin when he first appeared, although like the upshot was he was a nobody. <laughs> so like, it was just kind of like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like nobody cares who this guy is. That's the, that's the, it's who he is is unimportant. It was just that he was a mystery. He got like a, like the first real, like compelling multi-issue arc. Yeah. And it's a great story. I mean, so like that, I guess, gives it some juice and then they would reuse the crime master down the line. But most of these other villains outside of an appearance here and there or kind of used as a joke have not reappeared. Uh, Tinker, for whatever it's worth, does show up as Phineas Mason in Spider-Man Homecoming. Do you think that gives the character a little more panache now or I mean, is he still a guy who basically turned out to be an alien? I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, uh, his first appearance aside, I think the Tinkerer has kind of gone on to have a much bigger life in the Marvel Universe. Like, even now in Spectacular Spider-Man, we're dealing with, like, the Tinkerer's brother, which, right. I mean, give me a break. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, you're doing, you're digging, like, into a really uninteresting part of the Marvel Universe when you're dealing with, the Tinkerer's unheard of brother. I guess the movie elevates the Tinkerer a bit, and he has been behind a lot of Spider-Man's villains over the years. Um, you know, I was Rocket thinking about Racer. the Paul Jenkins run. He's behind yeah. like half the villains in that. That's I mean, compared fair. to Gaunt, I mean, the Tinkerer yes. has a very healthy lifestyle. But hey, Gaunt shows up in Revelations, man, so... <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Um... <laughs> And the robot master shows up in that great um, Civil War II's tie-in that we enjoyed. That's so. true. And the robot master, a.k.a. Mendelstrom, has a great story in the Paul Jenkins run. Yes. Um, let's talk a little bit about the looter. Because this is, of, of all the villains, I feel this one kind of epitomizes the ultimate disconnect between Stanley and Steve Ditko. Um, you know, here they are on this great run of of stories and, you know, pretty much from about issue 10 on Ditko was a one man show that and Lee would just come in towards the end and plot, pl you know, uh, write in dialogue and stuff like that. But apparently and if you if you look at your last page of Amazing Spider-Man number 35, there's this great thing where Ditko just like, you know, sketched out the looter in the teaser for next issue, but never told Stan about it. So like the, the, the teaser for next issue for issue 36, his first appearance was like, here's a villain. So cool. We don't even have a name for him yet. Because like Stan was just like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, and, and even the name would be inconsistent because he shows up as the meteor man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you could just tell, like, Stan wants nothing to do with this character. He calls him, like, a crackpot or whatever. And it's, like, like within the first, like, issue, a, a page of dialogue about him or, you know, narration about him. Um, and this character basically is Dick goes, 
Ayn Rand obsessed objectivism on steroids, right? I mean, he's this, you know, loser character who isn't good enough, uh, you know, to do anything on his own, ends up lucking into these powers and essentially becomes a taker as Rand or Dicko or Paul Ryan would call it. Uh, and, um, and I mean, what, what, what else can there really be said about this character? I mean, he's treated, he's a joke, right? He literally gets his powers from meteor gas. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. And um, like, and his parachute is like probably his greatest, like addition to his super strength. Right. But, and the key to it too, again, it's like, it's this obsession before his transformation to the fact that like, he's like, I could do this, but you know, I didn't graduate and I didn't, you know, I don't have enough money and blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? It's like this character has all these excuxes, which, you know, we'll talk about the, the whole Ayn Rand thing when we have our episode about Ditko down the line. But like, you know, this is, this is, a, these are the core tenets of that philosophy that, you know, that. Those who, you know, the, the industrialists and the, and, you know, the, the makers, so to speak, of the world are the ones to be valued and idolized. And, and those who are just complaining and looking for handouts and whatever, the looters, as they're even called in uh, Atlas Shrugged, <laughs> I believed. <laughs> well, um, I got to say, Mark, I love the looter. Every, <laughs> every time he shows up, I, I just jump with joy. Uh, well, isn't they, this your first Lee issue? It is. It's ever, the first Lee Dicko issue that I ever owned. And for that reason, because I love the looter, uh, <laughs> I have a commission of the looter hanging on my wall right in front of me right now. Uh, yeah, who did that one for you? Is that Ron Friends? or? <laughs> no, no, no. It's a friend of mine, Tim, who I every time I see him at a convention, I get him to do like a D-list spider-man villain for me right so i have a growing wall of d-list villains uh including uh everybody's favorite swarm and razorback and boomerang (laughs) and you name it but uh, the looter is the most prominent um i just love how much of a loser this guy is enough that when he appeared i think it was during uh the big time run he like appeared in an issue and yes. then somebody was like, who are you, the loser? And he was like, no, I'm the looter. And then they like <laughs> kick him off the side of the building. Uh, there you go. <laughs> great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, he is a great punching bag for me. I, I'm all about the looter. Yeah. Before we, we wrap this conversation, let's talk about some other people's villains that showed up during this run. I mean, these were obviously not Dick Lee creations, but um, they do it obviously went, went on to play a key role. In one way or another, there's um, Dr. Doom, of course, who showed up in Amazing Spider-Man number five and almost killed poor Eugene Flash Thompson. Um, Doom, of course, needs no introduction. Although, like, I mean, there would be other Spider-Man Doom stories, but like he never really I never feel like those those two truly bothered with each other. Right. No, not like I think even in like the best Dr. Doom Spider-Man story, which is that like airport reunion uh yes. issue uh right. like i don't even know if doom truly acknowledges spider-man's presence beyond like sending a couple doom bots at him he's just like yeah. whatever like you're just in my way yeah exactly yeah uh there's the ringmaster who um first showed up as an incredible hulk villain 
But uh, he would show up a couple times in this run. He showed up in Amazing Spider-Man number 16, which was a Daredevil team-up where he hypnotizes an entire circus that Spider-Man is at. Except for Daredevil, right? Because he's blind. Right. Has his advantages. <laughs> <laughs> then with the, uh, what was it? The, the circus crime. Uh, what was the circus crime group? Uh, they're the the, 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 the the circus of crime. The circus of crime. But she shows up, uh, was that issue 21, I believe? With this, or it's twenty two. It's with the spider signal on the cover. Yeah, and Princess Python and all and all those yeah. people. Yeah, that's it. We only remember Ringmaster, Princess Python. No one else remembers the rest of <laughs> that's it. That's all that matters, really. Yeah. And then there's the Beetle who showed up uh, in Amazing Spider-Man number twenty one. Um, was actually created as a Human Torch villain in Strange Tales uh, in nineteen sixty four. Before coming over but like he's ended up kind of playing a role in spider-man i mean he's also continued to kind of fight human torch but he would become part of the sinister syndicate and of course the deadly foes of spider-man in the 90s and then abner jenkins the character who played the beetle had a number of amazing appearances in superior foes of spider-man i mean <laughs> walking through walls because he can't jump out a window <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, the uh, Beetle has kind of been co-opted to become a Spider-Man villain instead yeah. of the other way around. Yeah, so pretty interesting. I want to talk about the villains overall because I think it's fascinating that, like, outside of maybe, like, Venom and the Rhino, like, there have been very few villains in Spider-Man's history that have really hung around that weren't created during this time. Why do we think yeah, that I is? Yeah, I mean, Kingpin, obviously, is another one you would have to consider. Yeah, I mean, um, Morbius. And, right. Uh, Morlin. Right, but the point being, there are, there are significantly more villains created during this run that hung around versus the villains created in the almost 50 years after, more than 50 years after. Um, with, you know, if you take the, if you look at it strictly from a ratio standpoint, which is just an incredible and and not only have they hung around, but these are great comic book villains. I mean, they're part of some of the most memorable stories in comic book history. I mean, Craven showed up and, you know, obviously is the villain in Craven's Last Hunt. Craven's Last Hunt is considered one of the best comic book stories ever, not just um, Spider-Man stories ever. There's something to be said about that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, is it because these issues were created in a time where villains didn't need to have as complicated of a of a origin and so it kind of left them to be a blank slate for other writers to fill in more interesting details like what what is it about is it just that they were there at the get-go like what is it that makes these villains uh hang around longer than than other ones that might have been created in a more modern sensibility I just think it speaks to the creativity of Lee and Dicko. I mean, it's it, and probably more so Dicko because, you know, the main other artist that Lee was working with during this time was Kirby. And obviously Kirby created a ton of hits, but he was doing so much that, you know, the, the hits were also countered by some misses. Whereas Dicko was able, you know, he was working on far fewer books so he was able, like, each issue out, be like, all right, Stan wants some guy who, because, you know, Stan's notes for a villain were like, I want a guy called Dr. Octopus. That was his notes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
I want a guy called the Sandman. <laughs> I want a guy with electricity. <laughs> so, so Dicko would just approach each of these characters and like, how can I make these guys unique, but also ground them in a way where they stay unique to Spider-Man's world. Like, I mean, very few of these guys have extraordinary abilities where they shouldn't be fighting Spider-Man and those that do we've noted kind of got transitioned elsewhere or, you know, used in other contexts. And I mean, and while a lot of these villains are linked, you know, most, most of these villains kind of come at it from the power and responsibility angle, whereas they get these powers, but rather than doing the right thing, they do the wrong thing. And that's what makes them Spider-Man villains. But from a, from a look and visual and attributes and powers and all that, they're, all very distinct and i think that lends itself to this very big canvas for each character for like you said for other creators to then come on and keep building on those stories there's very few and the few characters that i feel are bland there's a re you know they didn't get used down the line you know like even if dicko or lee had an attachment for them during this run like like the enforcers i think that's really where why these characters have become so elevated and are so great they're they're so different and each one is so defined and has an interesting backstory or at least has very unique powers that can be played around with yeah i think i think you're absolutely right and i, I like yeah i i think it it's important to not de-emphasize the visual element of these characters like they are such uniquely visual characters in their designs. And, and, and it's funny, we'll talk about Ramita and, you know, when we get to him, but, you know, for someone who's such a strong visual creator, it, it is strange that he was unable to really create villains that people would feel attached to, um, for that visual reason. I mean, I don't think that the, like the Rhino kind of makes sense, I guess, and the Kingpin too, but, you know, this guy was around for even longer than Dicko, and and I, I you know, the visuals were just not as unique. Yeah, I mean, even a guy like Mysterio, who you can argue is kind of a weird design. He's got a fishbowl on his head. <laughs> yeah, but it's so distinct, and you remember that villain. You know, like it's it's like how do you how do you walk away from that story, not being like, wow, that was that was weird. That was different. You know. <laughs> I hope that fishbowl guy comes back. Yeah, or Electro with his with his uh, his what do you call it? Starfish um, face. Yeah, his starfish cowl or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's pretty amazing. So that's why I mean, you know, this is to me the greatest rogues gallery in comics. Well, I think this is a good place to table this conversation. I love Spider-Man's bad guys. I oftentimes turn out for the bad guys even more so than for the villain. There you or for go. For the hero, I mean. <laughs> the bad guys. All right. Well, Dan, I'm going to take us home. All right. So thanks for joining us for our fifth episode of our first season of the all new amazing spider talk. Dan, our next episode will be out in about two weeks, September 13th, give or take. What's the title of that show? It's going to be called Excelsior or Excedrin. Yep. We're going to be talking about the man, the legend, the controversial figure, the, the, Guy who could sell the clothes off of his back. It's Stan the Man Lee. Nice. And we'll be talking about his legacy and the good and the bad of it, right? Yeah. Just 
who is this guy and and why do we revere him and fear him so? There you go. Uh, also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for this week's bonus episode. Uh, we don't have a new issue of Amazing Spider-Man this week, uh, although be sure to check out our recent review of Amazing Spider-Man number 31. Uh, so instead, uh, we're going to have Swarm back on the show and talk about a couple of B-books, including Spectacular Spider-Man, Spider-Men 2, uh, and a couple of other Spider-Office books. Uh, so for $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to these exclusive episodes, um, including new issues, swarm stuff, mailbags, everything else that we put into that feed uh, on the off weeks. And then also for $10 or more a month, you'll be sent an exclusive commissioned artwork in the mail every six months. Dan, this is all very exciting. Where can I see you pimping these wares on the internet? Oh, you know me. I will be pimping these wares on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. Come on over and check me out, chatting about comics and Spider-Man and <laughs> all these other things, getting into arguments with Dan Slott and nice. so on and so forth. And then, of course, over at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, we have all the awesome work that we're doing from all of our contributors covering all the Spider-Man books and news and all that stuff that so you can keep up to date. How about you, Mark? What are you doing on the internet this week? Well, of course, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog, and you can find me on ChasingAmazingBlog.com, although I haven't updated that site in a while again. <laughs> We've gotten behind. <laughs> uh, and also SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And, of course, please order my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, from Triumph Books. Uh, find it at TriumphBooks.com or wherever Books are sold. And while you're remembering to buy Mark's book, we also <laughs> want to be sure to remember the famous great, motto that closes out every one of our shows. With great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. And buy Mark's book.